We're very grateful for you. Yes, very grateful for you. That was, that was the sound of heaven right there. So we're, we believe God has a very exciting word for you this morning. And uh, I want to encourage our Elevate family at home. We miss you. We love you. And uh, we bless you and look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, so we're doing a series called Don't Quit. Good time, right? Yeah. The Bible says a word in season is like silver apples or golden apples in settings of silver. There's something about a word in season. And so that's something that God wants for us. And, and in this time and in this place, there's a lot of opportunities to quit. People want to quit on everything. And the circumstances are compressing. And it feels like everything is just, not, nothing is changing. It feels like, how long is this going to last? When is this going to be over? And the temptation is to quit. So quitting is easy. Anybody can do it, right? That's easy. But it's, say this with me. It's always too soon, it's always too soon. To, quit. to quit, right? What we want to quit on, we want to quit on our faith, we want to quit on our families, we want to quit on our finances, we want to quit on our relationships, and we want to quit on our future. We just want to give up. It's like, what's the use? What's the sense? And if you're a Christian, one of the things that God expects of us, as Christians, we're followers of Jesus. And so the Bible says that our lives do not belong to us. If you're a follower of Christ, your life is not your own. Your life, you're bought with a price. And you no longer have the rulership or the dominion over your life. God does. Which means we're called to be followers of Jesus. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. And we're called to live, think, and act in the manner by which he has, has, has placed upon us. And one of the manners by which God, or one of the things that God has put upon us, or the, the, the directions of our life, is that quitting is not an option. Quitting for a Christian is not an option. Change is the option, but quitting is never the option. God never gives us the option to quit. He says, those that draw back, my soul has no pleasure in. He goes, I want, to please, I want to please Jesus. Then don't quit. Don't quit. Quitting does not please Jesus. The ones who draws back, I don't have any pleasure in that. He has pleasure in those who through perseverance and those who uh, through determination and those who through faith continue to move forward. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. We make a lot of mistakes. So, but that doesn't mean we quit. If you're making a mistake, then change, right? It's one of the reasons why marriages end a lot of times. is because one or both parties are unwilling to change. And so they quit. Not because the marriage cannot move forward or because the marriage can never be successful. It's because somewhere, somewhere in that equation, somebody is unwilling to change. And therefore, they quit. But quitting isn't an option. Change is the option. It's the only thing that defeats the Christian. This is a promise from God's word. He promises us absolute success success for the believer or the reaping of the promises is inevitable to the believer if we don't quit the only thing that disqualifies us or the only thing that moves us out of god's purpose or power or provision in our lives is when we quit and we have a devil who uses people places and things and we have a devil that speaks to you in your own voice and then he goes well satan imitates himself and comes as an angel of light yeah but he also imitates you as you. That's his greatest trick. Right? If we go off, oh, the devil came in the room, we'd all want to run out. No, if the devil came in the room and, is, and, and manifested himself as he does, as he is, you would want to worship him. Because he manifests as an angel of light. He's deceptive, deceiving. It's one of the things that happens. He's a liar. He hides. He's not out there revealing himself. Satan, the last thing Satan wants is to reveal himself. He comes from the word occult. Which means hidden. That's his whole persona is to hide. 
and he wants to blame God, and he wants to accuse you, and as he accuses you, he doesn't even use other people. He uses you. He speaks to you in your own voice. Oh, you're just a loser. You know, you've known this the whole time. Your mom used to tell you that. Your dad used to tell you that. Remember that growing up? Your teachers even told you that. You're a dunce. You're not going anywhere. Oh, you're a quitter. Remember, you quit on that. You quit on this. You quit on that. What's the difference? Go ahead and quit again. And he starts imitating you and speaking to you in your voice. It's one of the things that happens in, you know, as a pastor, you know, a thing that really interests me is sometimes is human behavior. Why we do the things that we do or what is influencing a lot of times our behavior. And one of the things I've discovered is through reading a lot of things is a lot of people who have been tempted with suicide or have have had that impression placed upon them is that suicide always speaks to them in their own voice. Suicide doesn't speak to the person in an outside voice. Suicide always uses the person's voice. Isn't that interesting? But that voice isn't you. It's as if something's speaking to you and you're like, but it sounds like you. It's how the enemy imitates us. This is the pressure that he applies to the life of people to get them to quit. He he uses circumstances and he goes, just look at the circumstances. This is hopeless. You may as well quit. Just look at the attitude of these people around you. There's There's no changing this. Just go ahead and quit. Just look at your inability. Just look at what you don't have. Just look at your failures. Look at all the failures of the past. This is just going to be another failure. What will people think of you? You should quit now. That's his tool. The only thing he does, and this is a weapon in the lives of believers. And then another thing that he does is he'll use circumstances and he'll blame God. See? See? God's not good. If God was good, then it wouldn't be going like this. See? See? God doesn't love you. If God really loved you, then it wouldn't happen like this. He's a liar. Absolute lies. And we partner with those lies a lot of times, and those lies become influential in our lives, and they begin to affect our decisions, and they begin to affect our actions. His end game, he has a, you know, I tell people the devil's not complicated. He's not. He has about five things that he does. It's just that we're ignorant to the things that he does. We're not aware of what he does. The Bible says that let us not be ignorant of the devil or his devices. We're supposed to be aware. People go, well, we're just supposed to be aware of Jesus. Yeah, but if, you don't, if you're not aware, if you don't have a, a consciousness or an understanding of sin, or you don't have a consciousness or an understanding of how the enemy operates, then everything that happens to you, you're going to assume or presume it was the Lord. Because you're ignorant of the darkness that exists around you. You're ignorant of the power that you've been given. You're ignorant of the light that is in Christ. But you're mainly, a lot of times, I see it all the time. All the time. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All the time. We're ignorant of him. He's division. So what you need to know is where there's division, Jesus isn't there. This is the tactic of the devil to divide. The tactic of the devil is to steal, kill, and destroy. One of his tactics is to divide. Another major tactic that he uses is to get you to quit. Always gets you to give up. Jesus never tells you to quit. He tells you to redirect. Understand that? He's never telling you quit. He tells you redirect, change. Right? Go keep going. Keep moving forward, but do it differently. Change the past. Change, change the direction of your life. Go about it again. Joshua failed going into the promised land, didn't he? Right? So we see Joshua, the children of Israel, going in to inherit the promises that God had for them. First city they take is Jericho. Great victory. Joshua's like, rock and roll. This is awesome. We have taken the city. We are powerful. So the next city, Joshua doesn't bother to inquire of the Lord, and he goes and does it in his own strength. Ai. In the city of Ai, the, the whole army of God was routed. 
because Joshua didn't rely upon the Lord. He went about it in his own strength. Joshua's on the floor having a pity party. He wants to quit. And the Lord just tells him quitting wasn't an option. Joshua's like, oh, poor me. Oh, Lord, where were you? You forsook us. Oh, God, oh, God. And the Lord's like, stand up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop having a pity party and stand up. Do what I told you to do. Go about it the way that I told you to go about it, and you'll have victory. He never told him to quit. He told him to redirect. He didn't go, Joshua, you're such a loser. I had faith in you, man. I had confidence in you. And man, you just went out there and you just, he's like, you know what? You should quit. You know, go back to Egypt. I'm going to go get somebody else. He never did that. He just redirected his life. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind when he gives something to you. When he guides you, when he leads you, when he puts something in your life, he doesn't change your mind. He doesn't change his mind. He may tell you to change your ways, but he never changes his mind. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we will reap if we, give, if we do not give up. Don't grow weary. This is one of the memory verses from this teaching series is this one. If you want a memory verse, there's a great one. Don't be weary. Don't get weary in doing what is right, doing what you're supposed to do. Don't get weary. Say, I'm trying, Lord. I'm working on this. I'm moving towards this. I'm, wor- I'm reaching for it. And the Lord says, don't go weary of doing that because in due season you will reap what that promise has told you if you don't give up if you don't give up a lot of people with their children you know bible says your children will be taught of the lord and great will be the peace of your children there are people and i know them they've raised their children in the faith in the gospel in all these different things and then their adult children go and make crazy choices and you kind of say well the promise never the promise didn't manifest well who told you that it's not the game's not over be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap. I was just telling my wife about a guy who was a singer. Uh, this is a long time ago. And uh, he had a hit record. And he, had, he said he had a praying mother. And he said, my mother prayed me out of the record business. And my mother prayed me out of the clubs. And he's teaching, the, he's teaching the gospel now. And his mother didn't give up. This guy was having a lot of success. He had a record. He's singing. He's doing all these crazy things. And, you know, around that industry it's not always the godliest places to be but this woman says i did not raise my child to do that this is not the investment that i made in this child this is not the seeds that i've sown in this boy and i will not let this go until god gives me what he has promised me god promised me a man of god this guy, this guy, my son will become a man of god and she began to press in and press in and what has god told you what's he promised you doesn't mean everybody's got to go and be a preacher that's not what i'm saying but don't give up on the things that God has told you. Anybody ever heard of R.U. Darby? It's a very old story. There's a guy, in the, he's a, his name was R.U. Darby, and he was uh, during the gold rush, right? Uh, back in the you know, early part of the 18th, 19th century, 1800s. He went to Colorado, and he had done all of his research, and he had found a, a mine, and he believed that this mine was going to just have the mother load. And so he got a lot of investors, and he started digging, and he digging, and he digging, and he dug and dug and dug over a period of years. And he quit, and he gave up. And he sold all of his digging equipment, including the stake and the claim to the mine, to another guy. And the other guy that bought everything from him went to the same mine that Darby was digging in, began to dig, and he struck gold, the biggest vein of gold in color, almost the history of Colorado at the time, three feet away from where Darby was digging. Darby was three feet away from hitting, hitting the mother load. He was three feet away from, from uh, striking gold, but he quit. He gave up. Darby's story doesn't end there because he became an insurance salesman in the early part of the 1900s. 
And he became like one of the most successful insurance salesmen. They asked him, what was your secret to your success? He said, I learned that quitting doesn't profit me anything. Quitting doesn't make anything. It, it doesn't profit you. A lot of people give up three feet away from where they're supposed to be. Three feet away from that opportunity. Three feet away from when that promise is going to be met. He said this, before success comes into any person's life, they are sure to meet with temporary defeat. You cannot have success without defeat. <laughs> I like documentaries. This is documentaries coming to me. I, just, I like documentaries, and I just watched a documentary. All right, I'm going to say it. The Go-Go's, right? right? So you can ask for my man card afterwards. That's okay. Yes, I did watch a documentary on the Go-Go's, right? So I watched this documentary on the Go-Go's, and they were really successful and all this other stuff. So I always look for, I always look for things in people's lives. You know, because there are certain principles that are universal, not because they're common to men, but because God has released them in the earth. And so there are success principles and there are victory principles and there are things that are that are that that even unbelievers can tap into without knowing Jesus. Paul Newman tapped into the law, the, the universal law of generosity. I don't know if you know that. Paul Newman said, I'm going to create a salad dressing and all of the proceeds are going to go to I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it all away. He didn't expect it to do anything, but the whole salad dressing industry blew up because of Paul Newman. What was he doing? He was sowing, right? He, he, he began to operate in the universal law that God has threaded into the universe of generosity. And so there, here's an unbeliever. He's not reaping the inheritance or the benefits of being born again, but he's reaping the external benefits that God has woven into time and space. Generosity is woven into time and space. And so as I'm looking at this, this, this thing about these girls' lives, this one, one of the girls said, um, when the band broke up, they all went through a, ho- a huge period of failure after the band broke up, right? So all of them went through, they never had the same success individually as they had together. There's a lesson. You can't do it without others. You know, and as a family, we can't do it without each other. And so it's like they, they never had the same success individually as they had co- collectively. And, and the one girl said, the, the failures taught me more than, and this is a common thing, you hear this a lot, failures taught me more than the success. She said, we had success right out of the gate and it taught me nothing. She said, taught me nothing. She said, I'm the person that I am today, not because of the success of the Go-Go's, but because of the failures that I had uh, in the other way. There's more, there's more victory or there's more uh, development that comes through defeat. And he says, before success comes into any person's life, they are sure to meet temporary defeat and perhaps even some failure. What you need to know about the Lord is that God wants to bring you to a place of victory. God wants to bring you to a place of value. Every single person on the planet has a destiny. Every one of you, you know it. I believe I'm on the earth for some reason. You can ask a child that. You know, they're like, yeah, I believe. There's not a person that doesn't believe they weren't burned for a purpose. We lose it as we get older. As we get older, we start to dull it. We start to dumb it down. But as you're growing and developing, you know you're on the earth for a purpose. You may not know what it is. And it's God's intention not only for you to discover that purpose, but for God to activate that purpose in partnership with him in your life. But a lot of times, what, particularly Christians, God is not interested in comfort. He's interested in character. We think in America, we think that we, the, the church in the United States thinks that, that we're, God is all, he just cares about comfort. He doesn't care about comfort. He cares about character. Because the end game for God is not your comfort. The end game is your character. They who, whom he justified, he sanctified. And whom he sanctified, he glorified, Romans says. He tells us the process that he's working in our life. 
Justification, bringing you to Christ. You're now justified. Sanctifying you, setting you apart from a world that used to be into a world that now is. Putting you into the kingdom, sanctifying you and making you part and getting you to think and act and believe as his kingdom does. That's the process of sanctification. And the ultimate goal of God's life is glorification. The ultimate goal of God's life is to put the weight of who you are on your life. That's what the word glory means. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It means weight. The substance for what you were born for is what he's trying to bring forth. The purpose or the collective purpose for what you were brought together for, God is trying to bring about. But he can't do it, right? We're talking about these columns here, right? Because we're doing all this broadcasting stuff and we're moving in that direction. And uh, Alex was like, is there any way to move this column? (laughs) And I said, not without a lot of money. Because the weight of what is above is setting upon those columns. I mean, we can move it, but we take engineering reports. But the reason that the columns are there is to support the weight that is placed upon the building. God puts things in your life. He puts character in your life. He puts pillars in your life in order to support the weight of what he wants to put on your life. Without the columns and the pillars, the building's going to come down. You see it all the time. People can't handle success. Right? And there's a lot of opportunities. One of the things the Lord teaches us and tests us with, he not only tests us with lack, he he tests us with abundance. A lot of people think that the testing of the Lord is only in lack. The testing of the Lord is also in abundance. He tests you in in, in what you don't have, and then he tests you in what you do have. Why? He wants to bring you to a place of trust. He wants to bring you to a place of relationship. He wants to bring you to a place of intimacy because he wants to take you higher. He wants to move you forward. This is what God intends. We don't understand it a lot of times. We like, we like results. Jesus likes process. I like results, man. How quick can I get the results? Can I get them today? Can I get them tomorrow? You know, and Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to take the process out here. We're just going to take it out and just work this out together. It's like, what? When defeat overtakes a person, the easiest, most logical thing to do is quit. That's what happens. That's just, this is what this guy Darby said. So when, and so adversity, adversity is a big opposition to us. The things that we struggle against or the things that come against us. People wonder and they go, why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because of sinful people, sinful choices, sinful circumstances, and a sinful world in which we live in. There are things that happen in your life that you had absolutely nothing to do with. It's like a refrigerator falling out of the sky. And you're like, where did that come from? Because we live in a fallen world with fallen systems. There's adversity that comes against us for no particular reason at all. Right? And we wonder what's going on here. Well, sometimes it's a sinful choice. Sometimes it's sinful people. Sometimes it's sinful uh, circumstances. And sometimes it's sinful, it's sinful systems that bring these things about. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. We have an overcoming power. The adversity that causes the world to quit and causes the world to sink in. We have a power that enables us to go over. And that power is activated. This is that which overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. We trust in and believe in the power of God. And we press forward into his promises. And we will overcome adversity. Here's the book of Micah. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. This is the attitude we got to have. We talk about quality decisions the last few weeks. This is a quality decision. Don't rejoice over me, enemy, because even if I fall, I'm coming back. You have to have that attitude. Try it. You got to put a knife in your teeth and a rag in your head, and you got to go into the street fights. It doesn't matter if I get knocked down. I'm coming back. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. Proverbs 24, 16, though a righteous man falls seven times, 
He will rise again. What's the secret? Get knocked down seven times, rise eight. (laughs) Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. You have to have the attitude that victory is inevitable if you don't quit. Inevitable. It's an attitude that you have to have. You have to have a determination that even if I fail, I'm going to rise. I I am not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm telling you, when when we stand before the Lord, that's what the Lord's going to look at in our lives. He will not condemn or when we stand before him as a believer, we are standing before him, not in the, not in the judgment of sin. That's all done. That's already taken care of. The believer will stand before the Lord in judgment of accomplishment or in judgment of achievement in relationship to his kingdom. It will not be related to sin. It will be related to the Bema seat, which is the seat of reward, which is the seat of victory. That's where we come before the Lord. And even if you have failed, I'm going to tell you now. Even if you, Lord, I tried a gazillion things and I failed. He will commend you. He will commend you. Jesus commends courage. He never, ever brings courage low. Ever. If it was before the Lord, David, David's dancing in his underwear. Did Jesus tell him to dance in his underwear before the Lord? No, but he did. VVDs and all, leaping and dancing out in the middle of the street in front of everyone. And his wife was like, you're embarrassing me and you're embarrassing our whole household. What was David's response? It was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. The honor is his. And Jesus is like, yep, I'll take it. Whatever you do and you do it before the Lord, God will not condemn a, a courageous act. He will not condemn an act of faith. Peter's the, the grand example of that when he sank in the water, right? We all know the story. Peter walking on the water. He looked at the wind and the waves and down he went. Jesus is like, why, didn't you, why did you not believe? Why did you, keep, why did you doubt? He's like little faith. He didn't commend, he didn't, he didn't speak lowly of Peter for, for going out there. If anything, Peter should have looked at the other 11 in the boat and go, why didn't you guys get out? Why, why was Peter the only one, get, you know, going for this? God will never, commend, he will never condemn the act of courage. If you want to know what God corrects, it's very plain. He corrects cowardice very, very clearly and very, very harshly. He, c- courageousness is never corrected by the Lord, but cowardice is. And I'm, I learned that very early as a believer. And I said, I may be crazy, but I will not be coward. I may fail a thousand times, but you will not label me coward. I will not stand before him and carry that label. That I had a mandate on my life, I had a calling on my life, I had a purpose on my life, I had a direction on my life, and I failed to do it. Or I was too afraid to do it. Lord, I was afraid. Parable of the talents, right? I knew you were somebody who was going to hold me accountable for what you gave me, so I didn't want to lose what you gave me, so I put it in the backyard and buried it. What did Jesus call him? Wicked. Wicked. You wicked servant. You knew that I would account for your life, yet you did nothing with it. Take from what he has and give it to the one who has ten. That's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. That man could have lost everything he had, gone to the Lord and said, I gave it everything I got. I lost it. And the Lord would have said, give this guy more. I'm telling you, that's who he is. And so we, are, we in our fear of losing something, we fear that we're going to lose something because we think that, oh, we lost our master's money. The whole point is not our master's money. The point is what God is expecting of us. He's trying to develop something out of us. Money is not God's issue. Money is not Jesus' issue ever. It's not. He's paved streets with gold. That's what I tell Christians. You think money's God's problem? He paves his streets with it. Walls of jasper, gates of pearl, seas of diamonds. I mean, that's only what the prophet could describe. 
You sit on an earth. I tell people, you think you come from a deficient source? You're sitting on an earth right now that is making gold. You're sitting on an earth right now that is making oil. The narrative is, is that the earth doesn't have enough. Who told you that? Who told you that? Science itself doesn't even prove that. The narrative says that. There's so many diamonds, they have to buy diamonds and store them in a vault. Because if the diamonds were really brought on the market, the, market, the diamond market would depress. These diamond companies buy, buy hordes of diamonds and just shove them in a vault in order to create scarcity so that they can inflate the prices. Scarcity is not given by God. It's not. This earth can produce so much grain, so much food, so much everything. We pay our farmers not to sow crops. I don't know if you know that or not. We pay our farmers to not sow crops. I come from the Midwest. I know what goes on. When there's an abundance of grain, they don't need any more grain. They pay the farmer to not, to not sow the field. Why? Well, if we, if we, if we, well why, what if we had enough and we just gave it to everybody else? Well, we don't want to do that because then that will depress the grain price. So if you, get, if you understand what's going on here, none of this is created by God. Yet we lie and we sin against what is true. God has created this, this earth even in its fallen condition. This earth is not in its redeemed condition. It's generating wealth. Even now, people want to quit. And I tell them, this is the greatest time of opportunity you're going to see in the last 50 years. Wealth is being transferred right now. Right now. Oh my gosh. Businesses are closing. All right. But businesses will open. So true. People are losing their houses, but people will buy houses. Money is being transferred. Stocks are going down, but stocks are going to come up. People are going to make money on the down market, and they're going to make money on the up market. You study the history and you want to study success, you look at where people made their money. They made their money on the down market. They never made it on the up. And the reason is, is because they don't think like the masses. The masses think, the masses just follow the bell curve. And when the bell goes up, they do everything that the bell's doing. But when the, bell goes, when, the bell, when the curve goes down, then they start retracting. When the people that understand the system, they buy in the down market and they sell in the up market. I mean, we all can say it, buy low, sell high. We all can say it, but we have no concept of what that really looks like. Right now, there's a great fear in the land. Oh, my gosh. Pier 1 Imports has filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, someone else will take their place. It's coming. Retail market in America is not going anywhere, people. It's not. <laughs> Something else will come. The, the issue isn't what's being lost. The issue is what it can be gained. People look at this. I tell people even in a practical sense. There are people that are losing jobs. That's absolutely true. But they will hire again. Right? Pepsi, Coke, whatever. It's one of these big companies just cut like three, 400 jobs. I mean, yeah, I said, you think Coca-Cola is going anywhere? Those jobs will be rehired. Those jobs will be, those got, they got rid of middle managers. So what? You want to be a middle manager? Get your resume together. There's going to be plenty of middle manager opportunities. The economy is going to turn around. It will. It will. This isn't a time of retraction and quitting. This is a time to begin to look and discern for opportunities. What, where's the opportunities? Where, what opportunities God have for you? Right, we talked the last few weeks just about doors. You know, God, you, you believe in God for a door of opportunity. You believe in God for a promise. He sets the door within time and space. People always want to know what causes the delay. Why is there such a delay? Because when God releases that, there's an anointing. So here's the difference. We have an anointing as Christians, which means we have access to an immediacy of heaven. You have an immediate access to wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom in the anointing, ask the Lord and he'll give it. It's an immediate access. We lay hands on the sick, we prophesy, all of those things are to be released immediately. That's an immediate access. That's what's given in the anointing. But purpose and promise is something different. Purpose and promise is something that's released. When you begin to believe God for the promise, He releases it. 
And as it's released, it comes into time and space. And the curve of time and space affects that promise in relationship to time. It doesn't affect God. He's timeless. But it affects us. And so God will set a door in the wheel of time. And the wheel of time will come around. And you believe in God for an opportunity, it's going to come. I don't know what you're believing God for. Most Christians believe God for zero. Zero. You should have a list of ten things right now. And if you don't today, believe God for something. That's right. There's, you should be, without faith, it's impossible. You should be believing God for something. And you should have a list of ten things. Set those opportunities, pray and let those opportunities be released into time. And then the second side of that is to get ready for the door. There's no such thing as luck. It's only ready. Opportunities come all the time. We live in a world of opportunities, opening and closing doors, opening and closing doors, opening and closing doors. It is a world of opportunity. And, you, and many of you can sit down right now and see, remember all these opportunities that were presented for you, but you weren't ready to take the opportunity. You have to believe God for the opportunity. You have to get ready for the opportunity. I tell people right now, you, I'm like, they're like, oh, you know, I don't know. They've cut my hours. I'm like, well, then believe God for an upgrade. Believe God that he's going to promote you. Believe God that for something. Get your resume ready. What is, it, what is the skill that's necessary to achieve the level of job you want? What is it? Well, I got to get a degree. Well, you got, a lot, you got plenty of time right now. You know? <laughs> Now's the time. Don't wait till you're busy. Get your up, set your resume up, take all your little classes, take your whatever it is. I got friends are, I can't even speak this language, but I, I try to act smart, but I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know. Apache or CSS or cascading style sheets, you know, whatever. If you're a web designer, get, take whatever it is you need to do. Get your certifications. Get whatever it is you need to do to be, prepare yourself for that open door and begin to believe God. We are not as they who have no hope. We're not, we're not, we're not of the world, Christian. We're uncommon. You will be as common as you want to be. There's nothing fair about favor. Nothing. I mean, most Christians retreat from favor because they don't really understand what favor is. The Lord will give nations for your ransom. He will preserve you and he will cause an unbeliever to pay for it. And then we go, oh, well, that's not fair. That's not really Christian. You don't understand what favor is. I'm not saying take advantage of people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying do something wrong or act in, an, in a way that doesn't have character. Or we go, well, we have a guy here right now. The guy, uh, he went and applied for a job. They had just hired a, they had just hired a guy. And uh, the guy had been there for maybe 11 days. And they, they got rid of that guy and they hired him. And they said, well, there's just something about you. We just like you better. They got rid of him. And he could have said, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. no. I don't want the guy to lose his job because of me. I don't want him to lose his job because of me. That's how, we, that's how we're trained to think. And I'm not talking about crushing people and taking advantage of people. I'm talking about under, having an understanding and an attitude of what favor really is. It's going to come to you. And, some, and it's going to seem unfair to someone else. Not necessarily your brothers and sisters, but it will seem unfair to the world. God will take the worldly people and he will take from what is theirs and give it to you. And if you don't think that's true, you don't know him. And most of the time we pull back off the favor that he has. He gives nations for our ransom. He doesn't like, it's not like among us. We're not in competition for each other. But if you need something, the Lord says, that belongs to my daughter. And I'm sorry, I'm going to, okay, you, sorry, off you go. And you go, oh, but what's going to happen to that person that lost their job and I got the job? Maybe they needed to lose their job because they were arrogant in their heart. And now they're understanding that they no longer have the sufficient means within themselves to do anything. You have no idea what God is doing. That person may need to look to the Lord. 
and begin to cry out to God because they think they're self-sufficient. And now they've just been given a dose of humble pie, and now they know they're no longer sufficient, and so now they need to know that they need to call on God. How do you know that God will not work in that person's circumstances? God is not, not doing anything for that person. But you have to understand his attitude and his actions are to bless his people. That is what is on his mind. You are the apple of his eye. We're not all equal. This, again, this is a lie that permeates the church. We think that we're equal with the world. You are not. You are not. We are not all sons and daughters apart from Christ. We're all God's children. Who told you that? The Bible doesn't say that. To those who receive Christ, they're given the power to be the sons and daughters. Everybody else is God's creation. Sons and daughters. Right? So if you're coaching a team, right? You're coaching a team, and your son's on the team, or you get to coach the team. So you get to pick the team. And you've got three of your kids out there, and you're the coach. Are you not going to put your kids on your team? Huh? Are you not going to cut somebody else to put your kid on your team? And if you're a husband, you go, well, you know, honey, we just can't win with my son. You're putting him on the team. I don't care if you lose every game. Come on, you know how that works. (laughs) Why didn't you put Johnny on the team? Well, honey, there's other kids that are put. This is your son. Put him on the team. You know, we understand it in that context. That's exactly how God is. Those are my sons and daughters. I'm sorry, I'll cut a few players to put my sons and daughters on the team. I'll have a few people removed in order to make room for those people that we have. We have to understand this. We have to understand that God is not like doing something. Like, and even when he's doing it, he's still being gracious to that person. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair about favor. It's not against one another, but God will give the nations for your ransom. There's great opportunity even now. Reasons people quit, temporary setbacks, overwhelming circumstances. Ha-ha. Here's an overwhelming circumstance, 2 Kings chapter 7. There were four lepers. Okay, if that doesn't start it off, let's just start it off. There are four dudes and they're lepers. Okay, we already, re- we already know that this isn't going to be good, right? Or they're in a bad situation. There are four lepers. They're standing at the gate of a city. There'd been a war. Everything been destroyed, taken. And they look at each other. They're just sitting at the gate. The city's burned to the ground. Where they came from is burned to the ground. And so they're sitting there and they go, why are we sitting here until we die? If we enter the city, we're going to die. If we sit where we are, we're going to die. But if we go forward over to the army of the Syrians, that was the enemy, and they keep us alive, hey, we win. But if we die, well, we didn't really lose anything because that's where we're at right now. And so the Bible is telling us that the only way is forward. There's only one way, and it's forward. To go back to where you come from is irrelevant. You can't do that. To stay as you are and to remain as you are, you're going to die there too. The only way we live is by going forward. I, used to, I was coming back from up north where my family was from and all crazy good circumstance. I wasn't a full believer. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a kid, but I was not walking with him. So here I am, 20 years old. I was coming home from my, uh, my family's house and I'm driving, a, I'm driving a new truck that my uncle had helped me get. And this whole story that goes on with this story was that I was believing God in my heart. I wasn't believing God, but in my heart, I wanted a new truck. I wanted a truck. That's what I wanted because I was working the business that I was doing at the time. I was in, you know, whatever. But I, I, was, I needed a truck. And so I, I was, when I was up there, I had an opportunity to buy a used truck. And so I'm going to buy a used truck. And my uncle comes to me and goes, why are you going to buy a used truck? I can put you in a new one. I'm like, because my uncle's a sales manager. I'm like, you can put me in a, used one, in a new one? He's like, yeah, I'm going to put you, in a, put you in a new one. And so I'm driving back in a brand new truck from up north, coming to Tennessee. And, 
it didn't hit me until I got down here. Because, like, at the time, I was really kind of, like, I wasn't sure where I was suppo- who I was or where I was supposed to be. And I was calling on the Lord, Jesus, if you're who you say you are, show yourself to me. That's a great prayer. And God just began to reveal to me through the circumstances. How do you think you got that truck, Kevin? How is it possible? You and your own means, you were going to go buy something used. But through a miraculous turning of circumstances that happened almost instantly, I got a brand new truck. Like, you're thinking this way. This is the way I'm thinking. And I didn't even know the Lord at the time. But what happened was is that that was so alive in my heart. No one knew that. But God gave me a desire even long before I even knew him. But I realized, wow, that, was, that had to be God. That was a weird circumstance. But anyway, when I'm driving back from up north, I'm going through the mountains of Tennessee. Anybody been through the mountains of Tennessee? You ever been through Tennessee? So, yeah. So there's some pretty steep mountains, right? From Florida, we don't appreciate that, right? We don't, we don't get it because Florida's real flat. But in Tennessee, there's some mountains. And I'm from, from Michigan. My family's family from Michigan. And so I'm used to snow. But when we crossed into Tennessee, I crossed into Tennessee, it was like a whiteout, right? I mean, it was like snowing like crazy. And, and you go in, when you come into Tennessee, you know, you're kind of cruising. You're coming out of Ohio or Kentucky. And it's kind of, you know, a little bit here. But then you go into Tennessee and you just go straight up a hill like that. Yeah? And so I'm going into Tennessee and I'm going straight up a hill like that. And it is snowing so thick. And, the, you know, the snow's peeling off the tire. And I'm on the expressway and I'm going up the hill sideways. You know, the truck's going up the hill sideways. And I'm sweating on the inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're sweating, but it's not on the outside. It's on the inside. And you got like a death grip on the wheel. My favorite part was when these semis would be going by me, right? These semis would be going up the hill. Here, I'm going up on this lane, this way. And they're going up by me and they're honking their horn, right? Uh, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You know, that's, how I, that's literally how I felt. And so I remember thinking that. I'm like, I have nowhere to pull over. If I stop, I'm probably going to get snowed in. There's nowhere for me to turn back. And if I take my foot off the gas, I'm going to slide back down the hill. And there's not, it's not good. I had to just death grip the wheel and I had to go forward. And then I got up the main hill and I went down a little hill. And then I see a sign that says next exit eight miles. So I had to drive eight more miles in this blinding snowstorm, found the first hotel, stayed for the night, but it was a rough experience. And I woke up in the morning and they they said that it was like the worst blizzard they had had in 20 years. I didn't even know. I mean, who knew? You know, you're 20 years old. You're not like checking the weather report. When you get older and you have a family, let's go on weather bug. Let's check. Let's see what the weather's going to be like. I mean, you're just 20 years old. You just, you're just going, man. You're not, you're not thinking about that. The only option is forward. When the pressure is on to quit, there's an opportunity around the corner. The first reason people try to quit is because there's too much pressure on their lives. They want to quit. Second is they're ignorant of the kingdom of God. Christians oftentimes are ignorant of their identity. I didn't say they were stupid. They're just unaware. Unaware of who they are. They're unaware of the character and nature of God, that God is good all the time. They're ignorant of the present power of the Holy Spirit that's available to them. And they're ignorant of the promises of God that belong to them. Ignorance. The Bible says my people are destroyed for what? Anybody know? You know, lack of knowledge. God said, my people are destroyed for their ignorance. So he said, my people are destroyed. Hosea 4, 8, there it is, 4, 6. My people, ignorance is deadly. The third reason people want to quit is they're not truly convinced that God will keep his word. You're not truly convinced that God will do what he says he's doing. He will do. So let's just look at this. A, God cannot lie. Did you know that? Titus 1-2, we have hope in eternal life, which is given to us by God, who cannot lie. He cannot lie. 
Hebrews 6, two immutable things. The first one is his character, and the second is the inability of God to lie. Paul says we have an absolute assurance of these things because God's character is unapproachable. And the second part of God's character, or second part of that is that God cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. He can't lie. There's a lie within the church oftentimes that's permeated. I call it, the, there's a, it's a poisonous thing that affects the teaching and the mindset of Christians across the board. And we have this understanding or we have this belief, and they call it a doctrine, but it's not really a doctrine. It's actually a dogma because it's not properly taught. If it's properly taught, then it's a doctrine. But if it's not properly taught, then it's a dogma. And they teach this dogma that says God, the sovereignty of God. And when I say that, I know I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to offend somebody out there, but that's okay, because I'm going to explain myself. So you just kind of get all wound up for a minute, and then I'm going to explain myself. What are you trying to say? God's not sovereign? God is absolutely sovereign. The Lord is 100% sovereign. But in His sovereignty, He has delegated authority. You understand that? The Bible says, the heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to man. People want to know, well, is everything that happens on the earth God's will? Who told you that? It's God's will... That people starve in the streets of Calcutta. It's God's will that boys are forced into an army and murderers in Africa. That's God's will. None of that is God's will. None of it is. Then why does it happen? Because the earth he has given to man. Man is sinful and fallen. And you say, well, what's God going to do about it? He's done a great thing. He's resurrected from the dead, imparted a spirit and gathered a body and told the body to go. And if the body doesn't go, then there's nothing else that's going to happen. There's a docileness that comes within the church. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Do you understand that? The government isn't. Institutions aren't. And so this lie that says everything is God's will, that's a total lie. And what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're missing from the equation is the sinfulness of fallen man, number one. And the second part of the equation is a, is a fallen devil. The people that want to talk about, the, oh, it's God's will. It's God's will. Satan comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come to give life, and that more abundantly. And the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from Jesus. Well, what if Jesus changes his mind? There's no shadow of turning. If it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from the Lord. So you can look elsewhere for that. That didn't come from Jesus. That may, may have came from a person, that may have came from a place, that may have come from a thing. That may have come from a sinful system. That may have come from everything. But that's not God's will. It's not. It's important to understand that. Because we tend to call, we tend to, we actually bear false witness and we bring accusations against the Lord that have nothing to do with him. Nothing to do with him. But we teach it wholesale in our churches, but the Bible doesn't teach it. You say, well, why do we teach that? Because it excuses our powerlessness. It gives, us a, it gives us an excuse to not say that we bear responsibility. We bear responsibility. Responsibility is the ability to respond. You've been entrusted with the kingdom. You've been entrusted with the power. You've been entrusted with the promises. And you have an ability to respond to that. I'm going to tell you now, when you stand before Jesus, you're not going to blame it on him. Well, Lord, I just thought it was all your will. Well, who's going to say? Who told you that? Well, professor so-and-so or doctor so-and-so, and he's going to say, did my word tell you that? No, my, his word does not say that, ever. So you can blame evil on a lot of things, but you can't blame it on God. You can blame famine on a lot of things, but you can't blame it on God. You can't. The New Testament's an entirely different 
understanding going on here. My covenant I will not break, nor will I alter the word that has gone out of my mouth. God says, I'm gonna, what I say, I'm going to do. The covenant and the promises that I make, I'm not going to change it. He doesn't say, hey, Kevin, I made you that promise. Oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night. So, you know, I, I know I said that to you, but I'm going to have to walk that back. He's not like that. And he said, if I, if I say it, I don't alter what comes out of my mouth. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Everything's going to pass away, but God says, my word is immutable. Will not change, will not move away. It's here. Second thing about God is that he's not, only is his, uh, not only that he cannot lie, but his word is a sure thing. Did you know that? Say it with me. Sure thing. That's right. Psalm 91. Surely he will deliver me. It's a sure thing. You don't have to worry about what God will deliver you. He will deliver you. I always tell Christians, God's going to deliver you. That's not the issue. The issue is, is in what posture will you be found? Will you be found in the posture of faith that has been expecting him to do it? Or will you be found in the posture of fear? The issue isn't whether God will come through. That's never the issue. He's going to come through. He's going to take care of his people 100% unless we quit. But the question isn't whether God will do it. The question is what posture will you be found? Surely he will deliver you from all of the traps, from all of the perilous pestilence. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Psalm 23, David got it. Surely good and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The word of God is a sure thing. It's not a maybe thing. It's a sure thing. Until you reach the place where God's word and God's promises supersedes everything else, you will continue to struggle in your faith. I'm going to say that again because that's important. Until you reach the place where God's word and God's promises supersedes every other opinion, every other thought, every other circumstance, you will continue to struggle in your faith. You'll be tossed about by every wind and wave. People put more faith in the news media right now than they put in the word of God. Well, the media says this. Well, holy, well, by all means. You know, that's what we should do then. Let's just cast our Bibles to the wayside and bring on whoever, whatever, whoever. <laughs> no matter what channel I use, I'm going to offend someone. So I'll just, you know. People quit. Another reason people quit is an unwillingness to have patience. Hebrews says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, for you have great, it has a great recompense of reward. Don't give up, is what he's saying. For you have need of endurance, patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promises. This is very, very key. Have faith. That's the first thing it says. Have endurance or patience. Do the will of God. Most promises, every single, say it with me, every promise has a condition attached to it. People say there's unconditional promises in the word of God. Even salvation, when you come to Christ and you inherit the promise of Christ, then it becomes an unconditional promise. But until you inherit Christ, it's not an unconditional promise. Even salvation has a condition. You must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you don't believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, you're not saved. So even to become born again, you have to meet a condition in order to activate that promise into your heart. And in your life, every promise God has, has a condition attached to it. And so you need to find the promises of God. You need to meet the conditions that are attached to every promise. There is given. It shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over where God caused men to pour unto you. That's Paul Newman. That's the principle of generosity gave and it shall be given back to him, gave and it shall be given back to him. That's an opportunity. He's up. Op- how if, if an unbeliever can access that, how much more can the believer 
Every promise has a condition. Everyone. They that would find friends must show themselves friendly. You want friends? Be a friend. What's the condition on having friends? Be a friend. I always tell people, no, there would be, oh, nobody invited me to coffee, Pastor. I go, well, who did you invite? Did you invite anybody? <laughs> invite 10 people. You're sure to find a friend. Promises, you can have friends, but you must show yourself friendly. There's a condition attached to that. All of God's promises have a condition. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Is your strength going to be renewed naturally? No, you must wait upon him. He needs to lay hold of, get a firm grip. I'm just waiting upon the Lord, and we think we're Buddhists. We're going to get in a lotus position. I'm waiting upon the Lord. The idea to wait upon the Lord is to great lay hold of him, encompass him. I'm grabbing hold of the Lord, and he will renew me. He will strengthen me. Every promise has a condition, and this is exactly what it's saying. Have confidence, faith. Be patient. Do what the promise asks you to do, and you will inherit it. Simple. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their selfishness, look to me, and I will heal their land. Right? Is that not what he said? Does God promise to heal the land? Does he? Does he promise to heal the land? I got one person. Does it, does, is there a promise in the Bible, Second Chronicles seven fourteen? and there's many others, but that's an easy one. A lot of people know that one. He promises to heal. I will hear you from heaven and I will heal your land. When will God heal you? Hear you to heal the land. When will he hear? When God's people who are called by his name humble themselves and pray. Turn from their selfish pursuits. Understand that? Create a margin where the nation matters more than your car payment. Create a margin where your nation matter where the where the where the nation matters more than your fishing expedition. God will heal the land when his people, who are called by his name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wickedness, there's the word selfish ways, turn from their selfish ways, seek his face. He said, I will hear you, and I will move, and I will heal the land. He's promised it. Washington isn't going to heal the land. The Bible doesn't say, your government will heal the land. He said, I'll heal your land. I'll heal your land when you pray. We pray every Thursday night. Every Thursday night, intercessory prayer. We pray for our nation. We pray for our government. We pray for our cities. We pray for you. We pray for your marriages. Every Thursday night. You want to get in on the Skype group, on the prayer group? Send an email to Elevate Miami Church. Join the party. We go for about 90 minutes. Say, do I have to pray? No, you don't have to pray. We already got it. We got a map, but we're going to pray. But we pray for people. We pray. Why? Because we believe God said he was going to do it. You know, I'll tell you something, great advantage. This is a tremendous opportunity. We used to pray once a month. COVID made us pray once a week. And now we're looking at this going, oh, wow. This is pretty easy. <laughs> we have more people in the Thursday night Skype group or the Thursday night than we did, than we did a prayer. You know, we'd have once a month prayer meeting. We had six, eight, maybe nine people. In prayer group, we have 15, 12, 18 some nights. Have a good big group of people. Join the party. It's, it's sad because the God, you know, we're called to prayer. The house is the house of prayer, right? Not preaching, not praise. It's a house of prayer. Prayer precedes everything. Yet that's the very thing we neglect. It's typically 10% of the church actually prays. That's about it. We're about 180 people, 180 adults, and we have about 18, 20 people that join the group. It's typically 10% of, the, of, of any active congregation are people that pray. 
Sad, but true. Yet we're called to be people of prayer. It's wild. Join the party. God, every promise has a condition. It has a condition. Marriages can be healed. Children can be healed. Homes can be healed. Finances can be healed. Futures can be healed. We stop looking to ourselves. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And the God of all peace will guard your heart and minds. That's a promise with a condition. What's the, what's the condition? Stop leaning. Stop thinking you have all the answers. Stop believing that you're self-sufficient. You're not. Lean not upon your own understanding. In everything, look to the Lord, and he will direct your path. So he's promised you that if you will look to him in everything, he'll direct you. He's not only promised you direction. He said, I'll direct you, but I'll release peace over your life. I will guard your heart and mind. People go, the peace of God guards your heart and mind. Not if you don't look to the Lord. You understand? People don't have direction because they don't acknowledge God in all their ways. Look to the Lord in everything. You don't have any good ideas. I hate to tell you that. That's lesson one. <laughs> you, Jesus is the only good idea you have. That's it. We have a cooperative and a manifest faith. At Elevate, we practice a living faith. I had a woman here. She was from the islands. <laughs> and we do a thing called Discover Elevate where they can come and ask questions and all that stuff. And, um, and I was in the Elevate, and I was like, so, hey, how'd you guys come here? And, and people were telling me stuff, and, and uh, the lady goes, I have a comment. I said, yeah, what's the comment? She's like, I have never been in a church where she, like this. I said, well, what do you notice? It's different. You know, there's like all kinds of crazy different things. And then she goes, you all just seem to really believe the things that you're saying. That's what she said to me. I was like, really? She's like, you guys just seem to really believe this stuff. Not we believe in Jesus, but we believe principles, promises, power, purpose is present now. Not present then or yet to come, but now. We believe it. And so I now, and so the re, another reason is we don't meet, the, we need to meet the conditions of the promise and we need to meet the conditions with expectation. God's got a promise. Find one. We give out promise books. That's how committed we are to God's promises. You know? We're not giving you a folder about Elevate. That would probably be a good idea. But, you know, we've decided to go with God's promises. So if you take anything away from here, take away some promises. We meet the conditions and wait with expectation. The reason people quit, they neglect fellowship. The fellowship of God's word, the fellowship with God's spirit, and the fellowship with God's people. Acts chapter 20. So now I commend you to God and to the word of God, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. What a verse. I commend you to the Lord and to his word which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. The Bible says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some. The reason that we come together, because Jesus wants us to. But the Bible tells us in Romans that we are to impart it to one another mutually. Romans 1.11, I long to be with you that when we come together, I might impart something, a mutual encouragement, a mutual spiritual encouragement. We need each other. We do. Come on. Make worship a priority. I'm almost done. Worship's not an accessory. It's not. It's not an accessory. Look, I live in the real world. I get it. The clock goes off, the bell rings, and everything comes in. The cares of the life, the cares of this life start to choke the word. I get it. But you have to make it a priority. It's not an accessory. What does worship look like? It's spending time in his word, spending time in his spirit, just begin to an adoration, let his spirit move over you. 
We have the greatest inheritance of any people on the planet. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And He is the most woefully neglected person. If you had a, a, a gift that was beyond your comprehension and you did nothing with it, people would say you're a fool. If you had a Lamborghini, a Bugatti, whatever, the most fanciest, beautiful car in the world, and it was given to you, and all you did was sit in the driveway, or better yet, cover it and put it in the garage and act like it's not there, your friends would go, you've had this Bugatti in your car, your garage the whole time, and you've never driven it? No, I don't, yeah. Yet that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it is to your benefit that I go, for if I do not go, the Spirit will not come. The way churches operate, we got this, we got this. Holy Spirit, you just stay over there. We got this. If we need you, we'll acknowledge you and we'll, 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 sprinkle, we'll, let, we'll, we'll allow you to come into the service and do a little something if we feel so inclined. The Holy Spirit is given to you for presence. He's given to you for power. He's not an accessory. He's everything. Everything. We are born again how? By the Spirit. Right? We're not born again. We're born again. We are born again of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit and of water. The Spirit of God comes into us. He's our everything. He's our everything. We need to say with me, practice the presence. Come on, practice the presence. It's real easy. Just begin to worship. And let the word of God come over. Let the spirit of God begin to move over you. Let the warmth, some people feel warmth. Some people feel power. Some people feel tingly. Some people feel alive. Some people just feel this complete, total peace. Immerse yourself in that. We're baptized in the water, but we're baptized into the spirit. Allow yourself to be immersed. Practice the presence of God. We, what we do by nature is we're, 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 we lean away from that when you should lean into that. When you feel the anointing on you, I'm going to give you the posture. This is it right here. Not just here, all the way, Lord. Every part of me, top down. My mind, my heart, my organ, everything. Just activate the anointing. People feel the anointing and they don't know what to do with it. Or we're afraid of it. We think something weird's going to happen. Who told you that? Who told you that? If it's anything weird, it's you. It's not him. You can, you know, so that's another story. He says, those who trust in the word of God, those who will not be afraid of evil tidings, for their heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. This is how we learn not to quit. You make a quality decision that quitting is not an option and failure is not accessible, not acceptable. If quitting is always an option, you will always take that option. Quitting's not an option. Been married for 30 years. Sherry and I have probably attempted to murder each other more than one time. But divorce isn't the option. Murder is the option. I always tell people, if we go on vacation together and we don't come back, I don't come back, just no. Just... Don't believe what she says. Oh, Kevin stayed behind. Really? I don't know. I just saw him on the cruise ship looking over the balcony at the water. That was the last time I saw him. I I mean, who knows? Maybe he just, I don't know. (laughs) Quitting changes the option. Quitting is not. If you have the option to quit, you will quit. Change whatever is necessary. Worship must become a priority. You must remember past victories. This is important. We forget. We count our blessings on a calculator and our miseries, or or, or count our blessings on our fingers and our miseries on a calculator. Remember what the Lord has done for you. Has He done anything for you? Remember what He's done for you. You go, well, Jesus hasn't done anything. Are you born again? Let's start there. Renew the joy of your salvation. Remember what He's done for you. If He's done it before, He'll do it again. This is the great thing about the Lord: is He never takes you in as a visitor. He takes you in as an occupant. 
Whatever victory you've been given, it's yours by, that's yours by right of inheritance now. You own it. You just claim the land. So if God's broken you through financially and you need a financial breakthrough, you need to go back to that place where you received that financial victory. You need to remember that and you need to stand from that place forward. What we do is we leave the room that we just occupied. I was in a really rough spot a few years ago. Broke, whatever, didn't have any money, you know, like, like, the, like the rest of us, right? But God had broken through with me many, many times, like in that arena. And I'm, woe is me, poor me, oh God, oh God, oh God. And the Lord says, Kevin, you know, uh, you have access, just go and access that. And I went back to that place where God had broken me through. I remembered those moments. I drew the faith that I, I drew my faith from that position. Remember when you got that? Remember when that broke through? Remember there's something alive in you? Remember that? Do you remember that? Anybody remember what God did for you? Go back to that place. It's a living word. When God gives something, it's alive. It's living. In other words, you can go back to it and it's still alive. When God, get, when God did that amazing thing for you or did that very thing, you go back to that place and remember that. And you'll feel the glory that, that happened in that and use that same faith to move you forward. Remember the past victories. If you can't remember a past victory, then listen to somebody else's testimony, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ is in the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of speaking forth. Somebody speaks forth a a testimony, that's a revealing of Jesus' nature. God is no respecter of persons. So if God did it for them, he'll do it for you. Have the faith that comes from hearing other people. That's what testimonies do, is they stir our faith. Testimonies aren't to make us look bad and go, oh, well, she got it and I didn't, you know, or he received it and I didn't. The testimony is to say, wow, the Lord did that for you? Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm going for that. Go for that. Remember past victories. Listen to testimonies if you have to, but go back to your past testimony. God told the children of Israel to build stones. They had to put a pile of stones up. Every time they had a victory, they had to gather stones and stack stones. They, called, they were called Ebenezer stones, stones of remembrance. And so all over Israel, there would be stacks and piles of rocks when the children were in the land. Why? So they could put their, point to their ancestor. This is where we crossed the Jordan. This is where Jericho was when the city fell. This is where your mother and I met. <laughs> you know? It's like all of these, you know, these, these stones of remembrance to, so that the for, for, pre, for, uh, next generations would remember that God was alive. The God of your ancestors, the God that worked in your parents' life is the God that will work in your life. The God that worked in your yesterday is the God that will work in your today. The God that's working in your today is the God that will work in your tomorrow. Yes. Remember past victories. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There it is. Bless him. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget who he is. You're a daughter. You're a son. Do you know who you are? There is, no, there is no denial of access before him. None. By the new and living way, the veil has been torn. The only barrier that exists between you and your heavenly father is the one you create. You don't know what I did last night. Sin isn't even the barrier anymore. Guilt and shame is not the barrier anymore. You don't have to clean yourself up. You just go right in the door. Right? We got kids, right? They come in, they're all messy. You know, dirty. Daddy, daddy. We don't go, go outside and clean yourself up before you talk to me. You know, you accept them as they are. They're your, that's your son. That's your daughter. God's the same way. There's no barrier. Whoever told you there was a barrier, that's religious thinking. Religious thinking. We say, oh, we have a relationship with Jesus. Do we? Do we? 
Because relationship looks a lot like religion, the way I've just seen it determined in certain contexts. That doesn't look like relationship to me. This is relationship. There is no barrier between you and your father. Come boldly before the throne of grace. We don't even come before an altar. <laughs> I said this one time, and Jody's like, okay, I'm never singing that song again. Oh, come to the altar. Because I tell her in the New Testament, there is no altar. There's a throne. The sons and daughters don't come before the altar. The altar's been done away with. The place of sacrifice has been removed. We come to the throne. We come to the seat of our Father's authority. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you might receive grace in season. Grace is spiritual power. Come before my throne that I might impart to you the spiritual power that you need for the circumstances that you find yourself in. I'm not saying don't sing, oh, come to the altar. That's not what I was saying, but... It's just important to know because we come to the altar. Oh, God, I'm at the altar again. Oh, God. It's not in the New Testament. You're not pathetic. You're victorious. The only person that sees you pathetic is you. Jesus doesn't. God calls you what you are long before you get there. So he's trying to say, you're my son. Get on your feet. That's what you see every time I show people in the scripture. Every time people are laying down going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. God's like, get up. Stand up. I always remember my son in the grocery store laying on the floor. Oh, daddy, daddy. I didn't go, hey, everybody, that's my boy right there. I just want to bring everybody around. Do you say that? Do you just let him lay there? No, you go, get up. Get up. That's the way the Lord is. Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up. Know who you are. Know what I am. You're victorious. Let's go forward. That's how the game is played. Lastly, stay faithful. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful person will abound with blessings. A faithful person is the one that abounds in blessings. The ones that don't quit. Don't quit. I love it. Stay faithful unto death. The high calling of this gospel, it's very clear. There's no quitting. No quitting. When we started this church, I had people tell me to quit all the time. All the time. And believe me, I wanted to. But I would go to the Lord. I'd like, what do you want me to do? He's like, you took a blood oath, Kevin. So, you know... You pledged your life. You committed to this. So if you bleed white and you die, then okay, you can quit. But you're, you're going to bleed out before you're going to quit. There's no quitting. God, doesn't, God never gives you the... He, if anybody tells you to quit, it's not Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. Whoever tells you to quit, he might going to tell you to quit sin. You know, he may tell you to quit certain things, but he's never going to tell you to quit on his purposes. He will never tell you to quit on anything that is good and perfect in his eyes, ever. He'll tell you to change, but he will not tell you to quit. So if you think somebody, you think the Lord's telling you to quit, you need to go back and examine your theology because you're not in, that's not what the Bible tells you at all. Change is difficult. Change is painful. Change hurts. Quitting is easy. You have to have an unwillingness to quit. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to talk to the people at home. Yes. Invertently, we have people at home that have never given their lives to Jesus. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that. We believe that you're watching this teaching for a specific reason, and we believe you're a divine appointment. You say, no, I'm just watching it to be encouraged. Well, we believe that there's a greater purpose for you. And we believe that God has called you to this point in time for this reason, and that he knows you, and he wants you to know him. And if you're at home and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your opportunity. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Every person is lost. We're born lost. We're born hopeless. We're born helpless. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the Lord has a gift for those who will look to him. He said, but the gift of God is, is, is everlasting life. 
You say, wow, that sounds really good. How do I get it? The Bible says this, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. Every person that becomes a Christian comes the exact same way. We don't come become a Christian by the things that we think. We become a Christian by giving our heart away. The kingdom of heaven cannot be laid hold of with the mind. The kingdom of heaven must be laid hold of with the heart. And that's why Jesus says you must believe in your heart. And so if you're there and you just say, well, I don't understand it, that's okay. You don't have to understand it. You just have to believe it. And so I just encourage you to yield that to Jesus this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to call the prayer together. We're all going to pray. We're going to pray. The church here is going to pray. If you're at home and there's other people there and mixed company, everybody pray. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't get water. (laughs) Stay right there for the next 40 seconds and pray. We're going to pray. Just bow your head, close your eyes, open your heart in the name of Jesus. It's the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. It will change everything. It will change your now. It will change your eternity. So let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I just want to bless you one more time. Yeah, we can clap. You guys can clap. It's good. One more blessing. Blessed in your coming in, blessed in your going out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.